0: The piece of the business that someone is stealing is your profit piece that's the piece they're stealing because rent has to be paid loan payments have to be paid payroll has to be paid so the extra is the profit once the profit is gone that's when they start stealing and it's impacting payroll taxes and that's when it creates a lot of other but while there's profit in your business if someone is stealing they're stealing that profit which then is why it creates a cash flow problem.
1: Less stress. More time. More money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Interview. Martin, we've come a long way with our tech difficulties, but before we got uh, things sorted out for the most part, we once upon a time recorded an episode with Leah, and it's it's somewhere. It's in the abyss. Uh, but what do you remember from that episode? Uh, that I wanted to have a, a podcast with Leah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. one thing,
2: I, we'll we'll get into it, but she's got a really interesting background. Um, we haven't even said the topic is forensic accounting. I was telling my wife that this morning, she goes, What? I said, Forensic Accounting, you ever watch CSI? We watch all they do do that, like working on the body. They work on the books, you know. She goes, Oh, (laughs) thrilling.
1: (laughs) Thrilling. I
2: said, I said, well, it is if somebody's stealing from you and you find out about it, right? Yeah.
1: So or better
2: yet that you can be sure that people aren't stealing from you. So, yeah. So that's I really love this.
1: Yeah. Leah, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah, excited to have you. Uh, For the second time, hopefully this one will go live. It it will. Uh, It will. (laughs) Man, I don't even remember when that was. It had to have been a couple of years uh, at least. But tell us a little about yourself, Leah, for our listeners. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, yeah, give us your background.
0: Sure. So uh, since I was 12 years old, I wanted to be an investigator. And that dictated a lot of my life choices to this point. Um, and so by the time I was in high school, I knew I wanted to work for the FBI. So I even chose my degree in college based on how the FBI hired. So there's several different, there's like five different ways to, and, and I wanted to be an agent. So there were five different ways, programs you could enter. And it was like accounting, law, uh, IT language, or then just other. And so I was like, well, I got to choose one of these four. Cause I, I can't, com- you know, I don't want to compete with other Uh, So I actually started off. So I moved from Texas to Oklahoma to attend Oral Roberts University, started off pre-law that required way too much reading about things I did not care about. Mm -hmm. I needed some numbers in my life. So I switched to accounting. And um, between my junior and senior year of college, I had the opportunity to work for the FBI as an honors intern in West Virginia. And then that was extended where I got to return back to Tulsa, work for the resident agency here in Tulsa under a forensic accountant for the remainder of a two year position. And then I had to decide what to do with my life because my dream job happened when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old and it all seemed downhill from there. Uh, So I looked at staying with the bureau and just didn't think that was the best career move at the time. So I went into public accounting. Within three months of being in public accounting and prepping tax returns, I went and had a discussion. We would have mentor meetings, and the firm was small enough at the time. That's much larger now, but small enough at the time that we would have mentor meetings and that the partners would sometimes sit in. And this partner said, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't really know because, you know, my dream job, you know, like they all knew I left my dream job for now, this public accounting right. tax prep job. And they said, um, they said, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I think forensic accounting is becoming a thing that the private sector will pay for. And so, three months into the job, I'm like 23 years old. They're like, well, let's see if we can get some cases for you. So we ended up starting a forensic accounting division, but I still had to prep tax returns, and that was not desirable. That that was a crazy life. So, um, 13 almost 13 years ago, I started Workman Forensics. And so that I could just do forensic accounting and fraud investigations. So I'm located in Tulsa. I have a team. I have a, our investigative team is a team of four, myself and three others. We are small but mighty. (laughs) We are working in an incredible number of cases at the moment, um, really and since beginning of 2021. Um, And we have a podcast. We have training games. I wrote a book. There's just anything where we're just constantly looking to... Um, make what we do accessible to more people and educate them on just how powerful forensic accounting can be. And one, that it's, I mean, it's really not that boring. It's also just really trying to simplify it for people that it doesn't have to be complicated, but it can really solve some problems for them.
2: Let me uh, clarify one point. You were out of the FBI before Sylvester Stallone came to uh, Tulsa?
0: I mean, yes. You For know, Tulsa the Tulsa King. King? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the
2: FBI's... Okay, so we can't ask about Sylvester. Uh, no,
0: right. I mean, I was done with the FBI in 2009. Yeah. So, yeah. then uh, a little yeah. while. Other than I still refer cases to federal yeah. law enforcement. Okay. Yeah. So, but all of yeah. my friends who were there, I think my last, the last person who was like, that we would work cases together, he retires at the end of this year. So,
2: yeah.
0: I well, kind of... Could you maybe...
2: Friends. uh Define forensic accounting. I was talking to somebody this morning and they said, What's that? And I well, oh, that's a good place to start. What is forensic yeah. accounting?
0: So technically it means accounting that can be used in a court of law. Forensic okay. forensic means to be like to be used in a court of law. So whenever you're thinking of forensic science or um whatever. Now, in more like conversational terms, it's and especially what we do is investigative accounting to be even like if we wanted to break forensic accounting down even further because technically a business valuation that's being used for litigation purposes is forensic accounting Uh, economic damages could be a form of forensic accounting because it's just accounting used in a court of law but the way that my firm and the work we do it's really investigative accounting
1: and how would you define investigative accounting specifically
0: yeah we're looking for Um, we're usually identifying what happened. Somebody needs to know uh, one of the number one in an embezzlement case, somebody's always saying the call we get is, hey, Leah, there's something wrong with cash, which I know probably fits really well for this podcast. (laughs) But somebody's saying something's wrong with cash. And, you know, we've looked at our operations. We think operations are fine. So we must have a leak somewhere else. And then we'll come in and, and, I mean, gosh, 95% of the time when somebody calls me with that concern, there's some sort of fraud involved.
2: I was uh, talking to Leah beforehand when I was writing my book and looking things up. I found a stat from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. Is that mm-hmm. right? ACFE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they this was 2018. It was fresh information at the time. But 5% of sales in business in the United States is lost to fraud. Sales, and our listeners who understand and have heard us before, the average company in the United States makes 7% to the bottom line net before taxes. So if 5% of sales is being stolen, they're either wiping you out or they're cutting your net profitability in half. And I know we've got listeners, we'll get to this of course, they go, oh, that's interesting, and that happens that guy over there, that's too bad. Never happened to me, right? Right.
1: So so what is most common with, as you're going into these investigative accounting uh, projects, are you primarily seeing it, the fraud happening on the side of the owner or on the side of the employee? Uh, What's more common?
0: So um, most of the time, well, it kind of depends. And we actually categorize these separately. So there's certain kinds of engagements that we're, hired for most often we used to be hired a lot in divorce we just completed our last divorce case and i'd like to keep it that way for a little why bit. is that uh, <laughs> yeah. so oh my goodness all right no uh, anyway so we try not to do a lot of divorce anymore it used to be about 50 percent of our work but um so it could be embezzlement which is employee theft which which you mentioned but then there's also partnership disputes and yeah. that's when we end up seeing that one of the owners is you know, benefiting more than the other. It's not necessarily criminal fraud, but it's definitely civil fraud um, in those types of things. And then we also end up working theft out of like estates and trusts or um, guardianships and, and things like that. So those are our three big areas and kind of how we categorize them. So what's more common between employee embezzlement and partnership dispute? It really depends on the year. Right now, for some reason, 2022 just set off this, like, chain of partnership disputes for us. So the majority of our work right now are partnership disputes. I,
1: I'm, I would imagine something with all of the stimulus money to businesses had something to do with that. I just, the infusion of cash was too big to not create some sort of chaos.
0: <laughs> right. But- and And, you know, back to the, like, we should have more cash than we think we have. It's... Um, I think there's also, like, because usually in a partnership or even in an employee embezzlement situation, there's somebody that's handling the financials and then somebody that's not watching. Like, that's what's similar in both situations. And so in either situation, especially after all this money was infused because of the pandemic, then I think there's an expectation by the non-money person... In the relationship that oh we should have a lot extra and so whenever they don't that's what's triggering the i need to look at this so Yeah. yeah and also i was mentioning to martin earlier before we recorded that um any like right now money is expensive to borrow and so people are looking for why is our cash like why is cash tight or cash is tight does this make sense how can i find ways to cut costs and, and things. And whenever that starts happening, which is normal in a recession, for my work, our work actually goes up. Because whenever mm-hmm. they start looking, that's when they find problems. Right. So, we we do have those signs, you know, kind of similar behaviors of a recession right now because mm-hmm. they can't go just borrow to make up for that difference.
2: Well, I I had talked to Lee about this before too. I met I was in one of my companies a victim of fraud big to me, but relatively small, perhaps to some, 340000 But when I think back over the years, I look at financial, well, never mind all the details. But that cash thing, you know, you have small enough business, you just got this idea, yeah, probably ought to have 230000 40000 in the bank. And the bank calls up and say, I got a $30,000 check won't clear. What? Well, it just so happened the person I called to rectify that was the person who was stealing the money. And she moved some things around and, but man, right. there were a lot of warning signs as I went along, man, that just doesn't seem right, but I had trust and, uh, it betrayed me.
1: So yeah. Yeah. How did you come up with the name workman's, uh, for your business?
0: Oh, it's my maiden name. I started this oh. business before I got married. Yeah.
1: Workman. I was yeah. thinking like, Workman. you know, like workman's comp or maybe the tradespeople people <laughs> or something like no. that.
0: No, that is like the number one question I get asked, though, in presentations (laughs) or podcast interviews. Yeah, it's Workman is my maiden name. You come up with
2: a really cool story. Well, that's a good story. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you talk about making taking the complex and making it simple for people. I'd love to hear, you know, some of the primary things that you see go wrong. You know, you've already kind of mentioned one where in a partnership dispute, there's more of a finance person versus maybe an operations person or whatever. Um, what are some of the most common things that you see that you're just like, you, you, that was so easy for you to solve or for, for you to avoid that. What are some of those like things that business owners really need to be aware of?
0: If the financial person will not provide consistent or just regular routine reports. Like, hmm. at I mean, that's the most, like, this is one of the biggest red flags to me. Um, I have a case right now that over five years, I'm looking at $21 million in expenditures. This individual, oh, 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 oh. Ha- the business owner, has no financial statements. None. And so whenever we started requesting some information, they said, oh, she was keeping it in Quicken. Hmm. Which there's a really funny like YouTube short, by the way, about somebody using Quicken. But anyway, from like a really rant, ah, I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm terrible <laughs> remembering these things. But anyway, I, I should share this. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, so she was keeping the books in Quicken, and as long as the bills were being paid, nobody asked her for the financial sta- for the financial statements. And if they had, she wouldn't have been able to provide them because she's keeping them in Quicken. Quicken, and that's yeah. not going to provide what you need. And so, and that's not, that's the one that's most like top of mind right now because we're working on it. But it is, the first thing is that this individual, whether it's a partner or whether it's a bookkeeper, controller, CFO, they're not providing financial statements. Second thing is that those financial statements, whenever they actually go into QuickBooks, they aren't reconciled. So, because they're They're needing to create numbers if they are providing financial statements. Either they just don't provide financial statements because they don't want you to be able to see anything, right? Mm -hmm. The next level is you're demanding financial statements, but they need to make those financial statements look like you expect. So um, I had this one case that was in the manufacturing world, and this person was having, like, expense reimbursements. I'm using air quotes were audio listeners but expense reimbursements paid to him via check out of payroll so payroll would be direct deposited and then these expense reimbursements were being mailed to him at the office like a a paper check these were two hundred thousand dollars three hundred thousand dollars a pop like i mean there is no expense this guy is paying for that is that right right and so he had that, and th- but it was in manufacturing, and so, and then he was also using the company credit card for personal things. He'd go out and like buy, ha- he'd go to a steakhouse and pay for half the restaurant's meals on the company's credit card. He bought expensive suits out of the operating account. So, so all of these personal expenditures and a certain lifestyle, in addition to his salary, were being paid all the company. Wow. Well, everything was being booked by the accounting clerks as you know, business promotion or whatever. But then at the end of the month, the controller who was in on it, not receiving any benefit, by the way. This, I, I don't know why the controller participated. So stupid but, controller Yeah, so on a control- lot of accounts. Yeah, so the controller would then reclassify all of these business promotions to projects on the balance sheet. So he'd reclassify, because it was manufacturing, so he'd reclassify it to a job that didn't exist. And he'd call it CEO's job reclass the CEO's job. And so anyway, so I know that's a little bit of technical accounting there, but the reason they were, my point is that the reason they were doing that is because my clients were sophisticated at looking at financial statements. And so if they had seen that business promotions were really high or that cost of goods sold was really high, um, they were looking for certain ratios on that P and L. And so they would have seen, you know, they would have started asking questions. So anyway, they're trying to make whoever's stealing money is trying to perpetuate. They're trying to keep the scheme going. That's the only way this works is if they can hide it, keep the scheme going. So they won't reconcile the financial statements or they're going to move stuff around to make it where there's not something glaring on the financials. But um, yeah, so those are those are some of the common things that I'm seeing right right now. And really to detect it you just can't rely on your financial statements. You need to just look at your bank statements and your credit card statements. That's why those financial statements are, I mean, they're unreliable. But if the person is refusing to give you bank statements, credit card statements, or your financial statements, I mean, this happens a lot. An owner will call us and say, my controller won't give me my bank statements. Well, your controller doesn't Mm. own the business. So we'll coach them through. This is how you need to go to the the bank. bank. Yeah, Yeah, you need to get access to this. So if those things are happening, there is there is not i've worked over 200 cases like this in my career there is no logical reason for these things to not it doesn't matter what the controller's saying or what the bookkeeper's saying or your part you know business partner is saying there is no legitimate reason to not provide the owner or an owner of the company with financial statements bank statements credit card statements and payroll reports there's no reason
2: let yeah. me ask you one quick question on that. First of all, a lot of people aren't good at reading financials like your uh, your example people. One thing I say is get regular reports and you will become better and better and better at it. You'll see differences. But who should prepare those, what I like to say is closed, you know, I guess that means something reconciled financials mm-hmm. by the 20th of the following month, every freaking month and but who should prepare those
0: I would normally say like if 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 you don't have the infrastructure where you can have multiple people involved where you know like in my example they had two or three accounting clerks they had a controller you know there were different there were plenty of internal controls within the structure the reason the fraud was able to happen is that the CEO was colluding with the controller anytime there's collusion it's going to break your internal controls okay. so you know, that probably sounds hopeless to anybody listening but well. <laughs> um but if you don't have collusion these things are great safeguards but if you don't have the financial i mean for my team I don't need three accounting clerks and a controller and right like that's just going to be an administrative over like it's just, an overhead expense is not necessary so what i would say is if you've got one bookkeeper that's recording things then you really need an external accountant to run those financial statements. However, here's my caveat on this, <laughs> is that whenever they go in, they need to have a checklist that they're telling you the things that they've checked. That they're not just going into QuickBooks, running a P&L and a balance sheet, and then sending it to you without making sure things were reconciled. Because right. I've seen that too. So
1: what are some things you would put on that checklist?
0: Is QuickBooks reconciled? Did I verify... Yeah that the check payees that are in QuickBooks match that on the bank statement, at least for the large ticket items. Uh, we, we had a case one time where uh, this guy had great internal controls. He had a really nice big business, segregation of duties, all the things, and then he had an external accountant who would come in and reconcile the accounts, which is great. These are all great steps. Reconcile the accounts and run his financial statements. Great steps. However, the CFO, was writing checks to his spouse, printing those checks, going back into QuickBooks, and changing the information on the check so that it didn't show that it was paid to his spouse. So when the bookkeeper came in or the external accountant came in to reconcile, I don't know how many people have reconciled in QuickBooks, but it'll show you the date, the check number, and the amount. It doesn't necessarily show you who was paid, or um, and it may show you that now. But if you don't go and actually look at the check image to see is that who was actually paid, then you can be reconciled and still be missing a lot of money. So Uh, that's what I would like have this checklist where the bookkeeper has gone in and checked the large ticket items just to make sure that QuickBooks actually matches what's on the bank statement.
2: Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are going, oh, no.
0: However, but here's here's what I've. My goal has been because whenever I first started in this field, especially on my own, every time I got a case, I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to figure out something that's new. And I talk about this a little bit in the beginning of the book where I had this business coach who said, there's a finite set of problems you're trying to solve every day, Leah. So there's a process that you can create where you're not resolving something every time you get a new engagement. And so this really helped me create now what we have which is our data sleuth process to go oh you're right every case is the same the story around it is different and so we created this process so as I'm telling these stories it may you know like at, at first glance it's like oh my gosh they could be stealing from anywhere but they really can't there's only two big areas that someone can steal money from you and it's as it comes into your business as revenue or it's as an expenditure as it leaves your business so we have a lot of trainings on our YouTube channel and podcast and um, even our blog. We've got some tools on our blogs that talk about how you can evaluate the risk of fraud in those two areas. As I'm receiving money, money coming into my business and then money leaving my business. And then how do I just check those things to see if, if that's happening? It, if you go to the ACFE's website, and I'm a CFE and I love the ACFE. I spoke at their conference a couple of weeks ago but they have all these different schemes that could happen. And that seems overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But really at the end of the day, where do, where do your people have access to cash? And if they were going to, and, and I'm not talking about like-
2: Cashing it, cash in Actual cash. Greenbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: it's any type of, you know, money that's coming into business. So credit cards, whatever, checks. Where do your people touch those things? And if they were to steal, where would they steal? And then how would you know? What do you have that would tell you, oh, this is why this is wrong? So I, I break that down further in the book, and I also break it down further in a blog post um, about fraud, like fraud detection and how how you can do that. But so I, I really try to come at this. I mean, the stories are what's interesting, but the stories can also be overwhelming to somebody who thinks, oh, my gosh, I may have a problem. Um, yeah. But I really try to simplify it down to, what, like, even what if somebody's like stealing money, you can find it.
2: What, I, what I'd like to accomplish with the stories is not to frighten people away so they just throw their hands up, but that it is very real. It can happen. It can happen. Your best buddy can be the one that's sticking it to you, mm-hmm. and that there are some things that you can do and should do, must do, to at least it's like um, software, internet security. There is no such thing, but there's a <laughs> lot you can do to reduce the risk. And I, I had a, the, the lady that sold from us, well, I had a neighbor, let's start out with across the street, had a nice business. He was 85 years old, sharp as a tack. And he told me one day I fired so-and-so why caught her stealing from here. Really? What'd she do? She created a little company that was similar sounding to hers. She would collect small, uh, accounts receivable payments. Put them in her bank and delete the the receivable. I said, well, that's all traceable. Well, it should be if you have the audit feature on and all that. Who's tracing it? He only caught her because she called up, uh, a customer called up about something on, you know, and he looked for it and it wasn't there. And, of course, he didn't, as we talked a little earlier, he didn't do anything about it. He just fired her. Uh, She was a loyal employee all those years. The gal who stole from me, We had a lot of chase credit cards and we paid them off uh many uh, several times during the month right Mm -hmm. she had a chase credit card just paid hers right along with ours and then in a very sophisticated deal or relatively so she took the expense and posted it in the prior year so i wouldn't notice it in the p l well that throws off your beginning balance so in december she went back and went to all those dates and reversed those entries and scattered them throughout the year so they didn't show up, oh my and or didn't glow. Let's say, mm-hmm. and that also was her downfall uh, because she had written notes to know where to look. And when I had the IRS and Oklahoma City detectives came in, there it was. I mean, she and she she didn't fight. She went to jail, and we got our money back. But sorry. But I love, I love those kinds of stories because that's how somebody did
1: it. hmm So interesting. I, I think about the, the business owner who doesn't look at their financials, who has an account that's external and trusts them and, oh yeah, I've got books and, you know, we, we talk about them every quarter or whatever it is, but like they, I mean, for, for some people, they don't even really know what reconcile means. Um, so You know, Martin, I know that you have a process that you go through with even just your business, and it's kind of funny to me sometimes because you're the only person in your business. But um, Yeah, but I can't be trusted. You can't be trusted. (laughs) But what what are are you doing every month when you say that you're reconciling your books? Let's just clarify that for some people. It's pretty simple. Uh, I don't have a lot of
2: receivables and inventory and things like that, but I reconcile with the banks and I reconcile credit cards. I'm also CFO for my wife's business. And we have a lot of bank accounts for various reasons. We have a company that owns a building. Uh, there are five credit cards. I just reconcile everything. And so what I do the reconcile like, though.
1: Like make it well, f- fifth grader. What are we What are we doing with our reconciling here?
2: Match and agree. On this over here, it says there was a two hundred dollar uh, expense to Home Depot. Go over here and see what showed up on my credit card. I there mean, is go. that? actually we've got an expert sitting here that's who we need to hear from <laughs> uh, i like it and that is a major i mean it, it's it's a burden but i like when everything and reconciled it. i get the click boom right yeah so so that's a that's something that really helps because if you despise it you don't know how to do it there's something wrong and you may understand what reconciling is, but you don't know how to do that in QuickBooks. Yeah. You know. Anyway, Leo will have more <laughs> um, concrete examples and maybe some other stories along this line. But yeah, that's the the fundamental be- is to match and agree with something right. external, credit card company, mortgage company, uh, bank. I'm trying to think what. I also like, and Leah, maybe you can describe this, but many times when I walk in, people who have books, and I'm a new coach, and I want to see their balance sheet. Well, forget the balance sheet. I just go to accounts receivables, and there are a bunch of negatives in there, right? Negative accounts receivable mean that they overpaid you by double, and I'm go, who's this guy? Oh, he doesn't know me anymore. What's, what's this? Did you, over, did you Did they pay you twice? No. Well, I immediately know that nothing, nothing in their books is correct. Yep. So there's reconciling with your accounts receivable. And that's pretty obtuse for uh, our general contractor. You know, that's not fun to do. Don't know how to do it. Takes all your time. So you've got to find somebody else to do it in Mm -hmm. there. You agree with that, Leah?
0: Yes. Yes. So for most businesses because I actually got some pushback uh I i have an episode right now on my podcast that talks about bank statements as an evidence source and I got some pushback about what I'm gonna say but I this is this is just for the most basic the the most common business are those small to mid-sized businesses that um maybe just have one or two people doing their books that's what I, that's what I'm talking about Their financials are prepared for the purpose of a bank loan, typically, and for taxes. That's the purpose. So they're not kept on accrual and they're not audited and they're, you know, we're not doing all this stuff. So on a cash basis, whenever you're reconciling, you're just wanting to make sure that whatever went through the bank is in your system and whatever is in your system that hasn't yet cleared the bank, then I ask myself, why hasn't this cleared? Should it have cleared? But I'm just making sure I'm taking something that someone, that I've trusted, you know, that's supposed to be good at this. Maybe it's myself, but I've, I have controlled QuickBooks this whole time, or my bookkeeper has controlled. So there's human error involved. Forget fraud for a second. There could just be I forgot to record a transfer, or I forgot to record a. By comparing that to the bank and the bank statement at the end of the month, that helps me make sure. Okay, I didn't forget anything. I'm not going to overdraw my account. I, you know, that's how we know these things. And then at the end of the month, hitting that reconcile button that Martin you were talking about, that tells us, okay, everything up until that, you know, through that date of reconciliation, which is usually the last day of the month, it matches. We're good to go. Then the next month, I only have to reconcile those 30 days or those 31 days. Yeah. Yeah. I have a situation that came up that um, I referred elsewhere, but they had not they had imported everything from the bank into QuickBooks but had never done that reconciling step. And so whenever I'm looking at it and they're wanting to know where the problem is, I now have to go back five months and reconcile five months of these things. Like that's why you just want to do it on a monthly basis, check your transactions, you know, um, and also, there's this sense I know, like I am involved in our billing process. I know how much we're supposed to collect. I know, you know, I I should have this general sense of, so if we're, if I feel like our cash is tight, I'm going to go look at those receivables that you were talking about, Martin. I'm going to say, who have we not collected from? Because we did a whole lot of work last month and we should have collected by now. So then I can get my executive assistant on the phone or myself saying, hey, just checking on this payment, right? And then if that client says, oh, I sent that payment, now I'm asking questions, where did that payment go? You know, did we receive it? Did it get sent somewhere else? So really, a lot of times, just detecting fraud, it doesn't, it, it doesn't even have to be really a science. When you're the business owner and you're that close to the operations, you have a general sense of, and, and I think a lot of times, whenever somebody's not great with numbers, they really discount that sense that they have. Like, you know what you're selling. You know what you should be collecting. You know uh, roughly what your expenses normally are or should be. Um, and if they're not, ask questions and don't let the bookkeeper or controller, the people who are quote-unquote good with money, explain things to you and they don't make sense, but you're like, ah, I'm not a numbers person and you just let it go. Like, accounting is not... Accounting is just on the cash basis system, which is what most people are on. It is simply categorizing to summarize for the financial statements. You're just categorizing where did money come from and where did it go. That's all you're doing. Yeah. And so if your bookkeeper can't explain where did the money come from and where did it go, keep asking questions, you know? It, I, yeah. I there I can't tell you how many stories I've had as an investigator or I've heard from other investigators that they'll say, well, yeah, I just assumed I didn't, that this was just over my head. Well, that just perpetuates the scheme. We, we can, things usually make sense, especially yeah. in the world of accounting. Like, it's just money. You collected money and you spent money. That's it. And,
2: and what's Keep left over. Questions.
0: And what's left over. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I really yes. like that. You've, you've simplified a couple of things. One is financial, regular financial reports that have been reconciled. And then where did it come from? Where did it go? Right. Right. You don't have to get into basis and even yep. debits
1: and credits. I mean, they're there, but you don't have Mm-mm. to do anything with it. Just those two things. So, cleo I'm So saying. whenever you, you feel like you're running up against this, you're talking to someone internally or even externally, and they can't answer the question, where did it come from and where did it go? Uh, and wh- how much do we have left? what is your process for what what should i do as a business owner that's uncomfortable i've asked questions i don't feel like they're really honestly and truthfully giving me the correct answers do i call you immediately what are the next steps and what is that process like of figuring out what to do next
0: yeah the first step if they want to just do a little bit more digging i mean i will say the sooner you get a forensic accounting accountant involved the better i've Hmm. i've dealt with over 200 cases in my career. There's other professionals that have done the same even more. So whenever there's an issue, we can help you get to that issue before you fired the employee. This is actually like this is a this is one of my favorite things to do and very few people take us up on it. Whenever you find a problem, if you cannot make sense of it, call a forensic accountant, have them just look at the last six months to a year and and try to get them to do it in like a two week time span. <laughs> that would make me sweat right now because we have so much work, but try to do that. And don't let your bookkeeper or anybody know about it. Now we don't want to entrap them. We don't want to try to like set them up to commit fraud or anything like that. Let's just do a look back of six months to a year. And what that's going to look like is taking the bank statements, summarizing those by payee from the bank statements, summarizing it and saying, is there anything on here That we don't recognize. Is there anything on here that was not for the benefit of the business? We're going to do the same thing with credit cards, if there's a credit card being used. And then we're going to look at payroll and we're going to compare what is this bookkeeper paid versus what does her agreement say? Hopefully there's an agreement, but we're going to compare that and look for anything that was not for the benefit of the business. And we're going to do that over a six month to one year period. Yeah, on that
2: payroll, look for people whose names you don't recognize. Because i well, got that yeah. going on right now. Six guys who don't work there were getting paid.
0: Sorry. <laughs> yeah, wow. so you can look at that. Um, and a lot of times, if they're paid by check, that'll show up in that summary from the bank statement. Mm-hmm. But yes, you, if it's direct deposit, looking at that payroll report. But we're looking out of these three sources, we're looking for what transactions did not benefit the business and would have benefited the subject. That's what we're looking for. If we go through this process, and we don't find anything, maybe you're fine, but you just start really watching your financials. If we find that there are transactions that oh, man, I don't, there's not a Mercedes that benefits the business, like we're making payments to a Mercedes loan. We don't own a Mercedes owner doesn't own a Mercedes. Okay, now we might want to start asking some questions about this. So then we want to take that information, the forensic accountant and Hopefully, they'll know whether they are good at interviews or not. But anyway, you want to go in and interview the employee and show them these transactions and ask them and have the forensic accountant do this because they're not going to fool me. You can't... I know what I'm seeing. I know my process. So what was this for? How did this benefit the business? How is this set up? So we're going to go through those transactions that the owner didn't know about. And a lot... Every single time that we've been able to do this in this way, we get a confession from the employee and the employee is willing. They will confess. It may take three hours and two of those hours may be nothing but silence. That's happened before too, but we will get a confession. And from that, our best evidence source of what happened during this time period is the person that did it. So if we fire this person because we're, worried or we're mad or whatever if we fired this person our best piece of evidence just walked out the door and now they've gone to hire a criminal defense attorney and now they're not going to talk to us right without going through it the... now there's still resolution that way if somebody has already fired this employee and they're like oh no i shouldn't have there's still a resolution that way but the most ideal situation is just to look at that year go talk to that employee this is where this is also key i had um a situation like this construction company they were afraid that the controller was stealing money because there was another construction, one of their buddies, construction companies, their controller had gotten off with millions and millions of dollars. So he was just kind of concerned like, oh, I've never really thought about this person doing this to me. So we came in and went through the process I just talked about and I said, just let us look at this. And, and he wasn't convinced she was stealing, um, but he just wanted to make sure. So we looked at a year And there were some strange transactions, but nothing crazy. And so I said, let me, you know, can I just talk to your employee? So the owner was present for this interview. I went in. I said, hey, this is what we're doing. She was very mad that he had hired us. So after we worked through, hey, he's doing what all great business owners should do if they're concerned. You know, he has the right to do this. You know, I mean, we just made it. I just kind of had to work through it. And then I said, all I want to do is get your perspective on a few transactions. And she said, okay. So we start going through the transactions. One of them was the purchase of like $3,500 worth of golf clubs. And I said, can you tell me what these were for? She was like, yeah, those are my golf clubs. I said, why did you put it on the company credit card? And she looked at him and she said, you told me I could. And he said, what are you talking about? And she said, I asked you if I could buy these golf clubs and put them on the company credit card. You told me I could and that I could pay it back out of payroll. And he says, oh, yeah, I did. I did say that. And so then from that, I said, "Okay, well, if you've been paying this back out of payroll, you know, how how can I verify this? Like, help me help you. How am I going to verify this? She said, I'll print off the spreadsheet. So she had been tracking paying this off on the spreadsheet. So even in this example, she wasn't stealing. We did not find any evidence of her stealing money. Especially during this one-year period, the most recent year, nothing, but um, which I feel really good about because that's somebody who was about to be fired because they suspected that she was stealing. Right, and so you know I would I hope that my work will help exonerate someone that didn't do what they are fearful that she did. You know, but just having that conversation. But then at the same time, we've had those that same conversation with somebody. Who was stealing money over three million dollars over this certain time period and he says you know eventually says yeah i bought a boat yeah i did this yeah i built that metal building to put all my stuff in um and then you know we were able to work for recover work towards a recovery and um he was prosecuted federally i had another guy that we interviewed same way we looked at a year's worth it was very complicated inventory scheme we looked at a year And I just took what I knew. I had a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns because it was very complicated. We sit down. He answers my questions. After he confesses, he answers my questions. And then he says, if there's anything else, here's my cell number. You can call me. And I thought, no way. (laughs) This guy is not going to answer his phone, you know. A couple weeks later, I'm like, gosh, he said he did X, Y, and Z, but I'm seeing A, B, C. Like, this is weird. I'm just going to try to call him. So I call him. And in the book, I call him Jeff. So I called Jeff and I'm like, hey, and he answers. And I said, Hey, I'm seeing ABC, you know, and he goes, Oh, you're right. I did steal money that way too. Oh God. <laughs> and he said, and that reminds me, I would also do this. And so anyway, yeah. we got it quantified and cleaned up. But that's that's wow. my f- favorite thing to do. If if you if you're not getting the answers that, that make sense, go ask someone that it that they'll be able to tell you you're right. This isn't making sense. And we need to get the, to the bottom of it let's go to the source documents and then let's go ask this person questions
2: one thing i like to do is when i've uh, got a little chapter on it in my book but when you're hiring an accountant or bookkeeper or cfo or whatever you make it clear that day there is trust but verify around here yes i want you to do everything you do but an outside accountant is going to look at it every month we're going to go deep dive into this we're going to audit and i don't mean uh you know big five audit, but i'm going to look at five Uh, Transactions and if they're all okay, we're good to go. If there's one missing, I'm gonna look at five more. Right, but tell them up front. They say, and you're protecting them.
0: Right. Because I think
2: in my case, the lady actually, I was sick about it, but she was involved in high school and just all this stuff, and she took 800 bucks one day, intending to pay it back, and paid a couple of hundred bucks back, and then the most she wound up taking was fourteen thousand in a month. And it just grew and grew. If I didn't snip that, she wouldn't have ever gone to jail. She'd still have a job. She wouldn't have all these restrictions on where she can work and what she can do. Uh, there were some terrible personal things that went on in her family when she was in jail. And I, that's partly on me because I was a CEO. I suspected, that, well, I wondered what weird things, you know, the cash mm-hmm. balances, mm-hmm. and I didn't do anything. Yeah. I didn't do anything until we sold the company and our square up sheet wouldn't balance. and. That's how we found it. What what are maybe just a couple more ways? Uh, I know there are people listening saying, I, you know, that's those are big companies. You know, I, what are maybe some standard things? Uh, you know, we talked about separation of duties. Well, if there's only one person, how are you going to do that? Right. Maybe you do it with an outside bookkeeper. Maybe you do it with an outside accountant. Maybe you do it with an outside bookkeeper and outside accountant. But what are some safeguards that normal practices that a harried business owner running a $5 million company ought to be able to, to do?
0: I think you can look at your bank statements every month. And I okay. think you can look through your credit card statement. I, I really, really do. If it's just part of your day, you know, I, I've i gotten my, I, I was pretty type A about my bookkeeping all these years, you know, for 12 years. And over the last couple few months I've been trying to really get rid of some overhead so like of my time like trying to make right. my time more valuable and so I've gotten my bookkeeping processes down to just twice a month but I have that down twice a month that bookkeeping gets reconciled and it happens before I touch it before I pay payroll and so I'm just gonna look through the credit card statement and I'm gonna look at the bank statement and then I'm gonna look at my receivables what's still outstanding what haven't we collected there was a mm. uh, business and this guy was running I think like nine nursing homes or something. So very large business. Maybe six nursing homes. Anyway, it was a lot. And he had a CFO um, who was working for him and, and a couple clerks. And he called me and said something's wrong with cash. So we start down the most common areas people steal money based on what the CFO and the clerks had access to. We go through all of those things we can't find where there's any missing money and through bank statements credit card statements payroll reports everything looks fine but he's like there's still something wrong because we have no room in our nursing home like this should be working so i saw this one entry that um showed it was reducing other income which there's no reason to do that other income should just be positive all the time like they're not really a reason to reduce other income, but it was being reduced by millions of dollars a year. So I said, let's go talk to your CFO. Well, of course he's mad. We looked at it and blah, 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 blah. But I just, we got through a few things and I said, I want to ask you about this other income. Why are you reducing other income? And he said, well, I knew that if I, he said, we're behind on collections. We haven't been following up on Medicare, you know, all these different insurance payments, all this. We haven't been following up whenever payments are rejected. or And so whenever our claims are rejected and uh, I haven't been following up on those and I didn't want the management at the different nursing homes getting in trouble because they didn't even know they'd been rejected. We hadn't been telling them. So instead of putting it under bad debt, I just started hiding in another income. But he just wasn't doing his job.
2: Okay. So, I mean, that's was, was what it, was It wasn't right. that they he was, were paid and he took it. He just he wasn't just doing, doing
0: his job. And so oh. to keep the receivables where they weren't just continuously growing, he was just writing it off. Uh, but instead of bad debt, he was putting in another income. So he was hiding all of these receivables that were really late. But they still had receivables that were 90 days plus. And so by looking at that report, the owner you know, could have said, "Hey, why are these?" You know that that would have maybe triggered it before it got to the place that it was. But as soon as he removed the CFO and made sure that they were collecting, he called me like a couple. I mean, it was only a couple months, and he's like, "We are doing great because we're actually collecting the money that we're supposed to be collecting." Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think just looking at those bank statements, credit card statements. Um, you can look at your payroll reports. I would kind of look yeah. at payroll on a high level. What do I expect payroll to be? Really, you're just asking yourself the question. What do I expect my deposits to be? What are they? What do I expect my, rece- my expenditures to be? What are they? What do I expect payroll to be? What are they? If there's differences, go look at that.
1: Do, do you see any uh, instances of outside uh, external accounts, bookkeepers doing the embezzlement or the fraud? Um, and what does that look like? Cause I'm sure there's people that they don't even, they're not big enough to have an accountant, um, internally or a bookkeeper even, and they just outsource it. How worried should they be?
0: Yeah. So if, if you're going to outsource those steps, though, in my opinion, your external bookkeeper, your outsourced accountant, they do, they need access to your bank account only to see reporting. Only to see, they cannot make transfers, they can't pay ACH, they can't make wires. They do not need to be able to move any money within your account. They don't need to be making deposits for you. They need to only be telling you what came in and what went out, and putting it in the right category so that you have financials by the 20th of every month. Like, that's all they should be touching. Uh,
1: yeah, but I'm even thinking, thinking about, like, the payroll aspect. Like, I know a lot of people outsource payroll, um, so...
0: Yeah. I don't outsourcing payroll, I would, I personally recommend that you outsource to a payroll provider. And I don't know if you have accountants listen to this, they might be mad. I do not recommend outsourcing payroll to an accounting firm. Outsource mm-hmm. it to a payroll provider. Um, mm-hmm. They are usually have the technology, like uh, Paycom, Paychecks, Gusto. Uh, the, they've got the technology where a lot of this is happening automatically. Rather than someone actually filling out a nine forty one or a nine forty, like, and so I I feel like for accounting firms that aren't set up that way, they're doing these things more manually, and I just think that that's more room for error. Instead, yeah, outsource that to a payroll provider. A weird case that I was called on a while back. I didn't get to work it, unfortunately. We were just too busy, but um, this company like exploded after 2020 they were in the real estate business just exploded and so they didn't know i mean they went from decent they kind of handled their stuff between them it was husband and wife you know pandemic happens real estate blows up they're making tons of money hiring tons of people all this stuff so they're like oh we just need to outsource this so they outsource everything including some access to the bank accounts to an Mm -hmm. accountant a cpa licensed cpa and it doesn't matter if somebody's licensed it doesn't matter people do what they want it doesn't (laughs) matter you hope that that's a little bit of a deterrent that they're like i don't want to lose this license i work so hard for but in a pinch they're still going to decide you know what benefits them so they outsource this to their accountant and um he was doing tax returns payroll payroll tax returns bookkeeping all this stuff like i mentioned earlier he was not providing financial statements. And they kept asking him, wow. where are my financial? Oh, I'm just behind, I'm a one person shop, you know, all this stuff. Well, where are our tax returns? Oh yeah, well, I don't have those ready yet. You know, and you can't prep, just like you cannot prepare a tax return without financials and you can't have financials if you're not reconciled. So like that's the order. So anyway, they hadn't been able to file tax returns, all these things. So after talking to them, about this whole mess. He also was refusing to turn over certain financial records whenever they said, Hey, you need, we just need our stuff back. Like, let's just part ways. He also was not charging them and they're making tons of money. And they're like, we need to pay you for your time. He's like, no, no, no. I just want to help you guys. So obviously like there's a lot of red flags. You want to trust them. Um, a lot of times people who are in these positions are pretty good at sales and There's a manipulative component here. So um, anyway, basically what we believe was happening, and we didn't get to work this for them, but we believe that he was preparing tax returns and filing them and then getting the refund himself, directing it to himself, and then he would provide them with a different tax return. So they didn't actually know what was happening because there's no way, no way. So so (laughs) there are risks there, which is why just those red flags are really important. This is gonna sound a little pessimist on my part. And I really try to be like, we can be problem solvers, you know, we can solve this. But so this is gonna sound a little pessimist pessimistic for me. But I don't believe that you can prevent a hundred percent of fraud. I just think that if you're looking, you'll detect it earlier. Most of the schemes that we end up working, the size cases we end up working, we're looking at losses that are five hundred but really a million plus. And the reason is that this person's been employed so long, their scheme has gone on so long. So if it had been caught within the first six months, it might've been $20,000. But now they've been doing it over five years. Now we're at 3.5 million.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, you just took one of my final two questions and I might rephrase it, see if you give a different answer. But what is the probability that a a gate-cut listener, meaning just a random sample of people who are listening that they have fraud going on in their company right now and are losing just throw out your opinion like Ooh.
0: 10% 90% 50% gosh i'm really pessimistic about this i don't know i'm going to be scared oh, no, but, but i think yeah. but i think maybe like 75% 80% is what comes to mind wow. and yeah. n- now let me i'll say this too no one has ever in my business because of the controls i have set up no one has ever written a check to themselves. But have I caught people falsifying their time? Yes. So it can happen at different levels. And so that's why I think it's higher. It may not be that a bookkeeper's writing them or that a CEO is having a controller write them $200,000 checks. It may be that somebody's not working the hours they said they were working.
1: Yeah, right.
2: and I want to remind everybody what I always talk about is if you sell a million and you make seventy thousand before taxes, and then you've got forty thousand left over after taxes, and somebody takes a thousand, that's not a tenth of a percent. That's like whatever one divided by seven is. Right. That's a huge hunk of money that should have gone to you as a reward for running your business.
0: So within a business, like what you're just breaking down with the different percentages and what you're left over with, the piece of the business that someone is stealing is your profit piece. That's the piece they're stealing. They're not because rent has to be paid. Loan payments have to be paid. Payroll has to be paid. So they're going to, the extra is the profit. So once the profit is gone, that's when they start stealing and it's impacting payroll taxes, and that's when it creates a lot of other... While there's profit in your business, if someone is stealing, they're stealing that profit, which then is why it creates a cash flow problem, because you don't have the profit to reinvest or to tide you over between jobs and things like that. We
2: need to we need to come up with a standard agreement where we can assess our vendors a portion of fraud <laughs> and get them to sign it. Yeah, well, we're down 3% on fraud this year, so I'm going to reduce what I pay you on rent
0: there you go i'm not sure we get
2: anybody to buy it probably
0: not
1: <laughs> what are some of the like i think of construction companies i'm thinking about maybe inventory or equipment what are some of the fraud that maybe you've seen in those areas i know that may not be the area of focus that you have because you're focused a lot on the financials um but anything that you've seen there
0: yeah so fraud so i like to um again by looking at how does money come into my business and how does money leave my business. One of those areas is in equipment and inventory purchases. So I'm going to spend money to purchase equipment and inventory. um, And so I need to be looking at, do those things seem reasonable? Is, um, you know, am I overspending? One of the craziest cases I ever read about um, was this guy who worked for a hospital. And he was purchasing printer toner. And he stole $35 million of printer toner from a hospital over this very long period of time but he would over order the printer toner and it was extremely expensive i mean this was years ago i mean printer toner is still expensive but you know 10 years ago really expensive so he and he so he would take it and then he would go sell it on ebay or wherever and so he stole 35 million dollars worth of toner so any, we're really looking at anywhere that an employee, like the risk is anywhere that an employee could increase their purchasing power. So if if I can overorder, in oh actually one that was kind of recent that we worked with another investigator on was uh, this guy was overordering Apple products. So he was overordering iPhones, and this company had a lot of people that had to have work phones and then yeah. he started buying like really fancy iPhones and then Apple computers and all these things and then he would go and sell those to somebody so it was a it was a big like ring but you know that increased his purchasing power like oh i can just order a few extra iPhones get a few thousand dollars off of these iPhones it gets charged back to my employer
1: yeah it was definitely
0: it was close to a million dollars i think it was 700,000 dollars or something over the time wow. frame so um yeah, so it can happen in equipment, it can happen in inventory, That just even yeah. theft of inventory, you know? So I, I'm just always looking for how can someone increase their purchasing power? Like, I like to say yeah. that accounting entries don't cash at the casino. So, like, I need to find a way, like, how do my employees or business partners or whatever, how are they going to pay to gamble at the casino? They've got to put more money in their bank account. So... It's either gonna be stealing deposits as they come in or overspending an equipment that they're then taking to sell to somebody else, or they're gonna just write a check to themselves, over, overpay themselves in payroll, or they're gonna have credit card expenses that are for their benefit.
2: Make yeah. it really, really uh,
1: clear and simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think maybe kind of as a way to wrap up, I think a, uh, you know, you, a lot of our listeners are married and maybe even run a family business and I, I I would love to hear maybe some of the reasons why you don't do divorce cases and what you see in some of those cases that maybe listeners should be aware of.
0: Yeah, the divorce cases, really, that's a personal preference that we don't work very many of them because they're just sure. extremely emotional and um there's only so much of that I can handle so uh this, oh, and sure. our team I mean you can just kind of feel it on the team it just kind of sucks the energy out of the room so we try to limit how many those that we do but the ones that we do enjoy working on are those where there is a family business because we can mm. usually we can create a lot of value there and not even because somebody's doing something shady well they are let me I'll just set the scene so you have a family business and there is a inherent like just a, an incentive that whenever you're running a smaller business that you're going to reduce your taxes right so there are some things that business owners choose to run through their financials that are more personal in nature that they think this is the gray area I can reduce my taxes or whatever I'll take the risk that I'm audited whatever so you're mm-hmm. reducing your income over this, however long you're in business, you're reducing your income for tax purposes. Then one of the parties files for divorce. Well, if we take those financials and we just, and because at the end of the day and how we're involved is at the end of the day, we've got to divide this marital estate and we've got to divide it between the parties. So this business is going to have to be valued. We got to have a number on that piece of paper to divide. So whenever the business gets valued, a lot of business, valuation experts will, especially if they're working for the spouse that controls the business, they're going to say, oh, this is what the financials show. I've run my calculations. The business is worth X. So my favorite example, this business valuation expert valued five businesses and said the businesses were worth $50,000. That was the total value of this business. That was what was going to go on the marital balance sheet. So I get involved. And I noticed that these five businesses all had different year ends for tax purposes. All of this was strategic tax planning, right? Like this was not, I mean, we can talk some other time about whether they were defrauding the IRS. I, that's not what I meant, but it wasn't to rip off their wife you know, or their spouse. Okay, so that was not the intention. So they're running the, all these tax strategies. They're on different year ends. So they're deferring revenue, making it look like they're not making that much money. So what I did instead was I recommended that we put everything on the same year end so that we could actually see what money was moving between the accounts. They had over $30 million in transfers between these five businesses. So how is this worth $50,000? Okay, so, and this is transfers, you know, just taking money out of one pocket, putting it in the other. So it's not like it was revenue, but still you gotta have some money to be able to move 30 million around. All right, so when we did that, we then looked at what was the benefit, like how many personal expenses had they run through the business? What were these businesses actually, what was their cash net income at the end of every year when they're all on the same year end? And the business valuation expert on my side put that into the equation and determined that it was $1.5 million was the value of this business. And uh, by doing this, uh, we actually testified on it and the judge adopted our side's opinion Whoa. of value and wow. so that was that's like one of my favorite wins but in doing this work a lot of times when you've got these family-owned businesses they're very comfortable setting up additional llcs so they might spin off and create another business somewhere that the out doesn't know about so by performing our same basically the same things that we do in all the other engagements we've talked about we're doing the same thing We're looking for what are entities we don't know about, what are personal expenses being run through the business, what's driving down that income, and then are there additional assets out there. I've actually found investments in startups before by doing this, you know, that hadn't nobody put that on the marital balance sheet. So
2: Apple in uh, 1984. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. That. Hey, I have one last question before we go. Uh, Okay. People listening, uh, they've already found somebody committing fraud. Right. And they terminated that person. Why would they benefit from using a forensic accountant to explain what happened? Is there, yeah. you know, it's going to cost something. Well, I already yeah. fired this person. Would, it, would there be a benefit and why?
0: Yes, I think you should know what happened. I think you should know what extent it happened. Um, depending on the dollar amount, you may need to file some amended tax returns and charge that loss to that individual. Uh, depending on how that happened. Now, if they, if it's already been expensed, it's kind of a point. But they've they've basically taken money without paying taxes on it. So there's some things you could do there, um, and you're just going to need help knowing whether you, you may need help knowing you know do we amend this? How is it treated? Things like that. But but then also just understanding how this person did committed the you know stole this money should also help you build back better. I mean, now you've removed the problem. Let's not put another problem in the same place, in the same environment, with the same opportunities. Let's fix that so that going forward, we've mitigated that risk.
1: Fantastic. So, yeah. Wow. Well, a wealth of information uh, and such an interesting topic that I'm sure business owners don't think about too often. But uh, we've got the Data Sleuth book that Martin's holding up. Yeah. Uh, It's more of like a textbook, Martin said, but you've said it's chock full of stories. Like you've shared today, yes. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting one. Uh, also, your podcast, uh, which they can find just by going to your website or by searching Data Sleuth.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Okay. our Our and website
0: got... has links to the podcast. It has our blog. It has links to you t- our YouTube channel. Like it's really the hub okay. for all this information that we've created for business owners.
1: Great. We'll put all of that in the show notes for everybody. I think you know my takeaway for business owners is really trust but verify, always try to reconcile and make sure that the statements on your credit card and your bank statements, make sure that those match your books. Um, and then if you do suspect an issue, don't fire the employee, go get an expert <laughs> to come and look in and then maybe interview the employee so you can make it a much simpler process. Uh, so those that was really good. I appreciate it, Le- Leah. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Lea. me. I could talk about this for another four hours. I know.
0: I could, too. I'm not (laughs) sure they're... they're,
1: Excellent. Well, we appreciate you. Thanks, Leah. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cash Flow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.